Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Poor Trig. I know it's like, his, uh, his dad's here. I think he really wanted to impress him. Can you guys just clap so his dad knows that we love him? Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, all right. So I just, I didn't want his dad to think that that's a normal occurrence. He's, he's better than that normally. I don't know what, I don't know what to say. So, uh, no, I'm just joking. Hey, how does my, uh, how does my forehead look from your seats out there? Does it look pretty good? I had a decision to make. I went to, I'm in the soccer dad phase of life. I went to a tournament yesterday and I thought, all right, I could play it safe. I could wear a hat. I actually thought about taking an umbrella too. Um, but I'm going to be honest, I wanted to look good for you, my church. And so I went for the tan and I think you'll agree that I achieved it, right? I, uh, this is, this is as tan as I can get. So, uh, you're welcome. And no, I'm joking. I'm, I've worn all black and still look pale now. So that was a terrible choice. But, uh, Today I'm going back to a soccer game. I'm going to wear a hat because I'm afraid of the sun. So hopefully you're not going to make fun of my sunburn where you're at. But uh, anyway, uh, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of, of being the lead pastor here. And it's exciting just to, to look out and, and see so many people, uh, people who have, have called Movement Home for a long time, people who have been hanging out uh, for just a few weeks or months. Uh, there's, there's been an obvious uh, momentum these last couple weeks as we've moved back to the Y and, and began meeting on Sunday mornings again. And uh, there's been a lot of people hanging out and, and finding a home here. And I, I keep hearing the, the same question. People are like, hey, we used to have two services. Are we ever going to have two services again? And, uh, and so I, I keep giving the same answer. But I was like, hey, maybe we should say that to everybody. So here is, here is the plan. We like to not uh, waffle and say like, hey, maybe we'll have one, maybe we'll have two. Uh, the first time we went to two services, we said, hey, if we have 240 people, for four straight weeks, that'll kind of let us know that we're out of chairs and we need to, we need to push the two services. So last week, uh, we were over 240. I don't know where we are today, but basically if, if we do that for four straight weeks, the plan is that we will go to, to two services again so that we can make sure that we have seats and places, especially in movement kids, uh, for people who want to, to be here. So, uh, that'll take a while to execute. We'll have to do some planning. We'll have to change signage and announce that on social media. So, uh, it probably wouldn't be till like the last Sunday in October, uh, maybe even November, depending on how, uh, numbers go here, but I wanted to let you know uh, that's that's our plan. And so as we're kind of rebuilding what happens on Sunday mornings, there's a few things that we're still looking for. And one of those major things uh, is our volunteer teams. Right now, uh, you know, some of us have just been regathering on Sunday mornings for a few weeks. And so this isn't uh, meant to be a, some aggressive thing, but we we don't have a, a ton of people on our first impressions teams or, or on our, our movement kids team. We, uh, we're, we're running well for one service, but to think about going to two would be a lot. And and so I want to just uh, invite you, if, if you uh, want movement to be your home, if you've maybe served before and that's kind of uh, dropped off, I think they're going to put the world's biggest QR code up behind me. Yes, there it is. There it is. All right. uh, you, can, you can take your phone out, take, put that on your camera right now. It'll take you to our, our website or you can go there later under connect and serve. 
Uh, We would love to see more people serving, not for the sake of filling positions, but because we want to see people uh, invested in their church, and we want to see you get the best from Movement Church. And we believe when you're serving and giving of your gifts that that's happening. So uh, if you're someone who's just uh, super buff, you want to be on the Setup and Teardown team, and you like to lift stuff, we've got a spot for you. If you are someone that likes kids, you could serve in Movement Kids. If you hate kids, you don't have to go to Movement Kids. You can do first impressions. If you like coffee, there's, there's different spots, and we would love to see people serving. So uh, go ahead and, and scan that QR code, check that out. And we wanted to just let you know that, uh, that that's available. So uh, Trig already mentioned that we're in a series called Definition. Uh, actually, uh, Definition was the first series that we ever did uh, when Movement Church was starting. So if you saw that graphic, it had my, my boys when they were little, kind of flexing on people and they don't look like that anymore, but we decided to do the throwback graphic and, and leave it up there. But we did that uh, around nine years ago when we were getting started as a church. And so when you think of the word definition, maybe you think of like a, a dictionary definition or, or adding meaning to, to a word. You can also think of it uh, in the, the fitness world. Some people always say those things like, you know, I'm just trying to add definition right now. And you're like, okay, whatever that means, right? But, but sometimes uh, we're, we're just trying to, to make sure that we're cut, we know our boundaries and, and we're, we're deciding who we are. And so as a, a church right now, as we are regathering, as we're in this first month of regathering and honestly figuring out what this all looks like again and who we are as a church, we, we wanted to have this conversation and make sure that, that we could kind of define who we are and where we're going as we, as we grow forward. So I want to invite you to, uh, to turn uh, in your Bible as we continue this conversation this week. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably one under your chair or around you, behind you. You'll see one there on the floor. You can grab that Bible. And that is our gift to you if you don't have a Bible or one that you think is easy to read. We hope that that copy is. It's the New Living Translation. So you can take that home with you if you want. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It's on page 925. Page 925. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, as we continue to talk about who we are as a church and adding definition as we grow forward. Verse 19 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Verse 19, right off the bat there, kind of tells us what what we can do or what can we do. It says that we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. The reason that we have to be told that we can boldly do that is because honestly, sometimes we live in this, this moment of, of guilt. We, we live in a moment where our natural inclination is to be timid or to think that we don't deserve to talk to God or we don't deserve to know God, that we don't belong in a relationship with him. And the root of that is, is simply in our sin, 
right? We, we, uh, we all think that we know better than God in some way. We all have, have done things in our lives that in some way separate us from God. Our sin separates us from God. And that's been an issue, not just in modern Hilliard, not just in America, but for all of humanity for all time. Even in the Old Testament, we saw that people had sin in their lives and that would separate them from God. And so the, the Jewish audience that the, the Old Testament would have been written to, they were aware of their separation from God, and so they tried to live under the law. They tried to live this series of rules, and, and they tried to respond to that in a way that would at least keep them in good relationship with God. And so sometimes when offenses had taken place, when things had been done, they would offer sacrifices, or they would have the priests offer sacrifices so that they could stay in right relationship with God. And we all know that the law was just basically something that showed them that no one can keep the law, right? If it's up to us to be good enough or keep these rules or in some way earn God's favor, we're not going to be able to do it because Old Testament people were sinners and New Testament people were sinners and movement church people right now are sinners. If you walked in and you're a sinner, you're like, all right, I'm in the right place. I feel pretty good, right? We're, we're sinners and our sin separates us from God. And this passage actually mentions that, that in the Old Testament temple, there were different rooms in that temple. And there was actually a curtain that separated the people from God. There was, there was a, a known area of the temple where God's presence was known to dwell at certain times. And so there would only be priests and certain people who could go into the presence of God. And they would have to do all of these things and all of these sacrifices to be able to be in the presence of God and represent the people to God. Now, I know that's a lot, of, a lot of information, but basically our sin separates us from God. And they were always trying to get into the presence of God. And this passage is saying... We don't have to worry about that anymore. Because of what Jesus did, that curtain, that barrier, that area that separated us from God has been torn. And we have access to God because of what Jesus has done. We can have a relationship with God. We can know God. We can have intimacy with God. And we can boldly enter into a relationship with God knowing that that's possible. We can know God and walk with God. Why can we do that? Verse 19 again tells us pretty clear. Because of the blood of Jesus. We can have a relationship with God. We can boldly talk to God and walk with God and know him in ways that that other people have not been able to because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus. We can know God because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was given to pay the price that we couldn't pay. The blood of Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we can know God, so that we can have a relationship with him. Simply put, Jesus gave his life to pay the price for our sin. Jesus gave his life and put to death all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all the things that separate us from God. We can know God and walk with God because of the blood of Jesus. But here's my favorite part. How how should we do that? How do we live? What does that mean? What does, what does that exactly mean for our lives and for our function and for our mission and for our day-to-day action? Well, Jesus gave his life so that we could live his mission. How do we make sure that we can have intimacy with him? How do we make sure that we have a relationship with him? How do we make sure that if we capture that relationship or that intimacy, that we don't somehow lose that or walk away from that? How can we make sure that we remember all of these things that we're being told and everything he's done for us and everything he means for us? And how can we live on mission and not drift or not be distracted, stay encouraged? 
I'm glad you asked because this passage makes it pretty simple. It says, let us, and then it continues to tell all of these things. It says, let us hold tight to the hope and promises of God there in verse 23. God has made promises to us. He said that he loves us. He said that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. He's told us that we're his people and that we place our trust in what Jesus did on the cross. We will be found in him. We will have relationship with him, that we can know him. And so we have to hold tight to the promise that we're his children and that he's making us a new creation. It also says, let us think about how we can motivate one another to love and good works. And that's an interesting concept because I don't know that we're always in that mindset. Because we can know Jesus, because we can boldly enter in relationship with him, because he's given us access to God the Father, we need to think about how we can motivate one another to love and good works. If you've ever driven around 270 in Columbus, you know that thinking doesn't come naturally to necessarily everyone, right? (laughs) Thinking sometimes can take a little bit of effort. And so when we're told to think about something, you're going to have to have enough margin in your life that you can direct thought toward that and you can be intentional about what you want to do. And so we're told that we should spend time and have margin thinking about how we can motivate one another to love and good works. But we don't often do that, right? We like to fill empty time hey, I'm home, I need to be doing something. Let me ask all my Facebook friends a new series I can stream because I can't be bored for 10 minutes. I have to do something, I have to achieve something, I have to go somewhere, I have to be with someone. And so thinking about how we can motivate one another to love and good works is not a Saturday afternoon to do. I'm assuming yesterday a lot of us mowed the yard or maybe we went and hung out, maybe we watched the game. We probably didn't think, how can I motivate people to love and good works? But if you're going to be an encourager and you're going to be rooted and you're going to be anchored, we need to put time and effort and energy into thinking about how we can motivate the people around us and how we can motivate ourselves to love and good works. And it's not just that we need to have the margin to think about that. We need to have the margin to execute that. If you can slow your life down enough to say, hey, I just thought of something I could do to motivate someone, to bless someone, to minister to someone, to to invest into them. You have to actually have the margin to do that thing. How many times have you thought, hey, I should go do this to encourage my neighbor? And then you get caught up in life. And then a couple weeks pass. And then a year passes. If we're going to be people who understand that we can walk with God, if we're going to be people who have access to God because of the blood of Jesus, and if we're going to motivate the church around us and the people around us to love and good works, we have to have enough margin to think about what we're being called to do, what we're able to do, what we can do, and we have to have margin to execute those things. But all of these things are are kind of a, a setup. All of these things are building toward this last phrase because this is what it's all dependent on. It says, let us not neglect meeting together. Let us not neglect meeting together as a church. 
As if to say, hey, all of these things that I, I previously mentioned, all of these things that I, I said would, would do well to keep you on mission and help keep your life focused and help keep you encouraged, they're all dependent on this one last thing. They can all be handled by this one last thing if you'll just do this. How do we know that we can walk with God? How do we keep our lives centered on the sacrifice of Jesus and what his blood has done for us? How do we hold tight to the hope and promises of God? How do we think about how we can motivate one another to love and good works by not neglecting to meet together, by being together as the church, by spending time in community and taking our meeting together seriously like our lives and the lives of others depend on it because they do. love that it says, do not neglect meeting together as some people do. Because let's be honest. Throughout the course of time, there have been moments where people have neglected meeting together. There have been moments in your life, I'm assuming, that people have walked away from meeting with the church. This passage was written to the, the church in this this setting that was being persecuted. And I don't want to imply that the American church is being persecuted. I, I don't think that that would, that would be my, uh, my best work, but I, I think we could look around the world and say that other people are being persecuted much more. But I think there are some similarities to the audience of the book of Hebrews here because many of these people were growing weary in their faith. The Jews had been deported and shipped out of their country and they'd come back to these areas and they were trying to be the church and they were trying to walk with Jesus and they were trying to understand what it meant to have a relationship with him and, and to, to have bold faith and to live out their faith and to be on mission and to be honest, they were just growing weary. How many of us over the last year or two years have felt a little weary? How many of us have have started to, to look at our Facebook timeline and said, hey, I thought that person used to be a follower of Jesus. Now they seem to be saying some other things. How many of us have, have had a friend that we say, oh, I used to, used to feel like we could encourage each other and now they're kind of going a, a different direction? How many of us has, have watched a friend basically have a, a spiritual meltdown on our timeline or deconstruct their faith or walk away from their faith to the point that we're like, wow, they're frustrated and now I'm frustrated because they're frustrated. They're feeling weary and now I'm feeling weary because they're feeling weary. This passage was written to people who were feeling weary, who were asking the question, okay, what do I really believe? Not what do I really believe, but also is this going to impact my life? And when others stray from this, when others walk away from this, what's that going to mean for me? Am I going to keep going? Is this worth it? This Jewish audience, they had, they had been Jews their entire lives. They were new to relationship with Jesus. And some of them began following Jesus and they were being persecuted and they were being picked on and their lives were difficult. And they said, yeah, I don't need this Jesus thing. I'm just going to go back to, to Judaism. That seems to be who I am and seem to be more comfortable. It's where I'm at. And we have that same question. Will we walk back to the comforts of our previous lives? Will we walk back to things that are more culturally accepted? Will we drift away from our faith? 
And in that context, we're told that we can know God. And we're told that we can know God because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus. And we're encouraged with these three things. Let us hold tight to the hope and promises of God. Let us think about how we can motivate one another to love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together. In fact, this passage says that we should encourage each other all the more. With each passing day, this is not some announcements or proclamation, but we're one day closer to Jesus coming back. Yep, it's pretty, pretty shocking, right? So we're getting closer to the day. As that day draws closer and as we move forward as a culture, we need to be thinking, how can I encourage the people around me and how can I do that with some urgency? Because we're one day closer. This phrase was already up, but let me read it to you. The church is an anchor that helps you hold tight to your faith and motivate the faith of others. That's what the author of Hebrews was saying. He's saying, when you get together, there's power in being the church. And you're not just doing that so you can say, hey, I'm in the cool kids club. You're doing that because you want to stay on mission and keep running toward this goal of being in an intimate relationship with Jesus. And you're going to grow weary and you're going to be discouraged and the people around you are going to grow weary and they're going to become discouraged. And so you need to be together to keep each other anchored and focused and moving. The church is an anchor for your spiritual knowledge. The church is an anchor for your spiritual practice. The church is an anchor for your spiritual health. And in this day and age, the church can be an anchor for your spiritual emotions. Maybe you've heard this concept before, but the early Christians didn't attend church. They were the church. Early Christians didn't come and set up black curtains in a YMCA and, and make this thing so they could, they could come and attend church. The only reason that you would follow Jesus in the day of Jesus is because you were either intrigued by who he was and what he was doing or because you were following what he was doing. You had some reason to believe, I, I, I believe what that guy says and I'm going to follow him with my life. And so in other words, the people that were following him were engaged. They were engaged in what he was doing You didn't attend Jesus, you followed him. If you look back at the beginning of the Jesus movement, the idea of attendance is not something that was talked about. It would have been very, very foreign to those people because they were just engaged with who he was and what was going on in his life and their lives. I think as I say that passage on the modern church, we we hear that and we think, see, those people weren't worried about attendance. Those people didn't have to have some guilt trip that they were supposed to be at church stuff and be the church because they were, they just were the church. So I can just be the church anywhere I go. It's not the, the point of what I'm trying to say. The point is this, that in modern America, we think that we can follow a couple of spiritual Instagram accounts and that's, that's our Jesus for the day. I'm not looking at your followers this week, I promise. All right. You can, you can look at mine. Not making fun of Instagram accounts. I'm just saying that sometimes we misunderstand what it means to be engaged. Attendance tells us where our engagement is. Attendance tells us if we're following. Attendance tells us what's going on in our life and our heart. I don't have to sell you on the fact that you should probably breathe in and out for the next couple minutes and it'd be really good for you, right? 
because you, you need it. You need air. You want air. You know air. It's all you know. And so you breathe in and out. If we're convinced that Jesus is air, we don't have to make a sales pitch to, to be at a certain place at a certain time because it's all we want. And being with our community and being with his body would be our only logical choice. There's a passage in John 6, right after Jesus gets done feeding the 5,000. He's just kind of said, I'm the, the bread of life to this large group of people. He said, I can, I can sustain you. I can, I can give you hope and life. And he even goes on to say that eternal life comes through him. And I just want to read these verses to you because this is what it says of the people who were followers of Jesus. It says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 disciples and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter was saying, listen, I don't always know what's going on here. I don't know if following you always makes sense. I'm not always sure that it's completely convenient, but you're all I want, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm engaged with you, and I'm walking after you, and we have a relationship and if we can say that same thing about our lives, then, then following Jesus isn't just another thing to do. It's not just a burden in our lives. No. Instead, we're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering my life to you. You've put a call on my life, and I'm, I'm, I'm tied to you. I'm linked to you. We're going to journey together. I'm going to learn from you, and we're going to walk in this life step by step by step by step because you're all that I want. I love the word engaged because it kind of shows intent and direction in our culture, right? There's nothing more frustrating than a relationship that doesn't have intent. I was talking to one of our friends that our, our family knows the other day. She just went off to college and she was dating a guy before she left. And I was like, oh, you're still dating that guy? She's like, yeah, sort of. And I was like, so he's your boyfriend? Well, not exactly, you know? And I was like, so you're exclusive? And she's like, pretty much, yeah. And I, I was like, all right, my dad, my dad muscles are kind of going crazy here. I'm like, I'm glad you're not my daughter, right? Because, because there's nothing worse than like, so you've been on dates with this guy, but you're not dating this guy, but you believe you're exclusive and there's some intent here. And so I finally just said it. I was like, is he dating other people? And she said, I hope not. I was like, yeah, I hope not too, for your sake. Right? But, but that's what's great about the word engaged, right? We don't, when, you, when someone is engaged, you're not like, hey, so are you still dating other people? No, because you're engaged. Because you, you literally have a ring that you give to that person and you're, you're engaged. And then it's very obvious, this is my person. This is the direction of my life. This is who I'm with and this is who I'm following. We know what engaged means. But often we work hard to make sure that we're not engaged or to be kind of engaged or sort of engaged or dating or hanging out or sort of exclusive. We fear the word engagement and engagement being engaged is so clear. The ring tells you that you're engaged. But it's not just the ring, but it reminds you that you're engaged. 
So the, this practice of being engaged with Jesus, this, this practice of valuing community and valuing being taught God's word and encouraging the church is the same thing. Sometimes it reminds us that we're engaged to him. Sometimes it keeps us engaged to him. Sometimes we're encouraging the people around us and sometimes they're encouraging us, but we're walking together and being engaged together. You ever notice that uh, people's behavior kind of dictates where they, they go later in life? No one, has, no one has ever said, hey, I think I want to put on weight. And then they just start magically putting on weight. No, but if, but if you change your eating habits, you can put on weight, right? And if you stop working out, you can put on weight. And so we're able to steer our lives and steer our engagement. I think the same thing can be said as followers of Jesus. If you want to drift away from your faith, you can take yourself out of community. In fact, people usually drift away from their community of faith before they drift away from their faith. People usually drift away from their community of faith before they drift away from their faith. So what has God done to, to make sure that that doesn't happen to us? Well, he said, I want you engaged with me. I want you walking in relationship with me and in this group of people that I've given you as the church. In fact, I think we can draw this, that proximity to people of faith is one of the best ways that God builds our faith. Proximity to people of faith is one of the best ways that God builds our faith. If you want to learn to play piano, guess what? You don't just sit down at the piano and say, Piano! No, you need to find a teacher and someone that knows how to play the piano. You need to watch videos online and make sure that you're picking up from proximity. If you want to be great at basketball or soccer or whatever, whatever the thing is, you need to spend time around people that do that thing because proximity to people makes sure that you're growing and progressing. And proximity to people of faith grows our faith. So there are going to be moments that you're going to wake up and you're, there are going to be mornings that you say, I'm not excited about my relationship with Jesus today and I'm not anchored in what the blood of Jesus did for me and I'm not reminded and I don't really want to encourage other people and motivate other people. God knew that would be the case. So he said, well, then you need to make sure that you're around people that are going to sharpen you and remind you and keep you in community and, and keep you walking and keep you engaged and keep you encouraged. In some moments, you're going to encourage them. In other moments, they're going to encourage you. But this was his plan all along, that we would have proximity to people of faith so that we could stay encouraged. I think most of us would say that Jesus is the point of everything, right? We would say like, yeah, we're supposed to, we're supposed to follow Jesus. We'd say they're supposed to worship Jesus, that Jesus is the source of our salvation, that he came and gave his life for us, and it's all about Jesus, and, and that makes sense. Most of us understand that we have a relationship with Jesus. So let me, let me show you a little, little graphic here. I think most of us would assume that, that we have a relationship with Jesus, and we're like, yeah, that's common knowledge. I, I get that, and I know that. But there's a, a second relationship, I think, that most of us would see in Scripture that would make sense, and that's Jesus's relationship with his church. If you've spent time studying scripture or looking in scripture, you know that this is extremely clear. 
You can't read the Bible and, and not get this. And so we, we understand that the Bible calls us, the church, his people, the holy nation, a people belonging to God. It calls us his body, his bride, his family, his flock. And so that's this other relationship is Jesus and his church. And Jesus created the church and started the church and empowers the church. And he wants us in the church. And there's this spiritual entity of the church that's very obvious in scripture. And yet these things are two different truths. And the problem with our culture is that we look at these as separate truths. We think, all right, well, I have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus has a relationship with the church, and the church may or may not affect my relationship with Jesus. That's my decision. Depends if I've got time, if I've got margin, if I like the pastor, if I think he's funny, if he's tan enough or whatever, whatever things we put in line, right? We decide if those two things are ever going to intersect. And for most of us, they don't. Here's what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us, I have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has a relationship with the church. And also this, I have a relationship with the church and the church has a relationship with me. My calling is tied to our calling. And your calling is tied to my calling. And we have a responsibility to each other and a relationship with each other. Everyone in this room has a responsibility and a relationship to each other. And our calling and our mission is tied together. And when we neglect being together, when we neglect meeting, we find ourselves walking away from that and growing weary and less encouraged. So this passage is saying, listen, if you want to stay focused, if you want to stay engaged, if you want to stay anchored, if you want to stay walking in the right direction, if you want to know that your faith is, is the cornerstone of your life and is taking you somewhere, do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect being the church. If I were to ask us all to, to draw maybe a, a line graph of our relationship with the church, I'm assuming that you could look at your relationship with the church. Maybe we would say like, yeah, I grew up in the church and things were good. I went to youth group and then I went to college and it was a very bad time. And then I had kids and things got better. And then, and I'm assuming if we were to draw that line graph, your health or your engagement in your spiritual life would directly correspond to your relationship with the church and your relationship to other believers. It's not often that people would say, yeah, I was meeting with people. I was, I was getting together and I just, I just wasn't encouraged. No, often we walk away from encouragement. We walk away from people. And then we say, I don't know why I'm so weary. I don't know why I can't focus. I don't know why I don't feel engaged in the mission of Jesus. I don't know why I don't feel connected anymore. Something must have changed. What changes is that we neglect being with the church. We neglect being with the people of God. So let us hold tight to the hope and promises of God. Let us think about how we can motivate one another to love and good works. And all of these things happen. Let us not neglect meeting together. That can be Sunday mornings. That can be in your movement group. That can be on a team that you serve on. But something special happens when we gather as the church of Jesus. Because the church is an anchor that helps you hold tight 
to your faith and motivates the faith of others. Let me pray. God, thank you for the gift of the church. God, thank you that you've not just called us on this mission, Lord. You've, you've given us an organization to keep us focused, keep us on mission, and to keep us engaged in walking with you. Lord, there will be moments that we don't feel like people who are found in you. Lord, there will be moments that we feel hopeless. And yet you've said, surround yourselves with the church, surround yourselves in community, and you will be engaged with my mission and engaged with my heartbeat and moving forward as a group. God, help us to be people who prioritize being together as a church. Lord, to say yes to you and to say yes to your church, we will have to say no to things, things that are okay things, things that are good things, Lord. From parties and opportunities and trips and jobs and and people, Lord, there will be things that will take our focus and our engagement away. We want to remain anchored in you, focused on you and walking with you. God, thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his blood and that that tore the curtain and opened the way that we can know you, that we can boldly be in your presence and we can boldly run after you and boldly serve you together. Lord, may we encourage each other more with each passing day to be more and more bold as we run after you and as we serve you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.